Tonight on NJ Spotlight News. Your voice, your vote. Campaigns ramp up in the final hours before Election Day. With all 120 legislative seats up for grabs, can the GOP flip the balance of power? What Republicans will see as a victory is picking up, um, you know, at least uh, a seat or two at a minimum to declare victory. Also, phantom candidates. Republicans cry foul, alleging Democrats are using fake independent candidates in an effort to siphon votes from the GOP. There's potentially very significant illegal things going on that have to be examined now. Plus, fight for power. School board races heat up, becoming a battleground for political groups as clashes over policies intensify. Parental rights is taken center stage in this election, um, both for Board of Ed and I believe statewide. And pro-Palestine demonstrators disrupt Senator Cory Booker at a campaign event, demanding a ceasefire as the Israel-Hamas war rages in Gaza. NJ Spotlight News begins right now. Funding for NJ Spotlight News is provided by NJM Insurance Group, serving the insurance needs of residents and businesses for more than 100 years. Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey, an independent licensee of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Association, and by the PSEG Foundation. From NJPBS, this is NJ Spotlight News with Brianna Finozzi. Good evening and thanks for joining us this Monday night, Election Eve. I'm Brianna Venosi. Voting is already underway in New Jersey, but tomorrow is the traditional election day and residents casting a ballot will determine who controls the state legislature. All 120 seats, 40 in the Senate and 80 in the Assembly are up for grabs, being decided under a newly redrawn legislative map and in what's considered an off-year election where low turnout could be the deciding factor in close races. Democrats are trying to fend off a red wave as Republicans try to claw back a majority in at least one of the chambers, hoping to keep the momentum going after gaining seven seats just two years ago. But this is also an election where culture wars have dominated. Candidates on both sides of the aisle are campaigning with messaging that parental rights, book bans and abortion are all on the ballot. For more on the races to watch, I'm joined by veteran Democratic strategist Julie Reginski and Republican strategist Bill Palatucci. Julie, Bill, good to see you both. Thanks for joining me. Bill, let me start with you. Um, are Republicans still capitalizing on the momentum of two years ago, or is it a victory if they hold on to, just hold on to the seven seats that they picked up in 2021? Well, I think those are two important questions. I think, first of all, is this 2021 or is this 2022, right? Where 2021, um, nobody saw it coming, picked up a, a net seven seats, uh, greatly outspent in a number of districts, famously the Sweeney-Durr race. Or is it 2022 where we thought we were going to get a chance of picking up some congressional seats and we only picked up the Kane seat. So I think, you know, that is, um, you know, still, you know, yet to be seen. I think in terms of what Republicans will see as a victory, it's picking up, um, you know, at least uh, a seat or two at a minimum to declare victory. Julie, you know, it's interesting in talking to a couple of other veteran Democratic strategists 
um, in the last couple of weeks who felt like Democrats didn't necessarily seize the opportunity to campaign on really progressive issues. Have Democrats missed any opportunities here from what you see? Well, first of all, I think Democrats have done a pretty poor job of messaging this cycle. They led the Republicans determine the messaging. As you said, they could have talked about LGBTQ students, but instead they allowed Republicans to define that issue as a parental choice issue, which uh, obviously is not helpful to Democrats. Uh, look, the electorate was very, very clear two years ago, and I'm glad the Democrats got the message. They want to hear about affordability. And so from that perspective, I think it's important for Democrats to be laser focused on those issues, because how many more warning signs do we need to get from the electorate? As, as Bill pointed out, we have lost seats over the last few cycles because we didn't laser focus on those issues. Now, what's interesting to me is that, of course, neither side is laser focused on that this year. Uh, Republicans are running on parental choice, which is obviously a social issue. Democrats are running on abortion, which is also a social issue, although I would argue it's an economic issue as well. But I'm not sure that either side is talking about the cost of property taxes or, or, or frankly, just the cost of, of getting a, gas, a tank of gas in New Jersey the way they should be um, to do well this cycle. Well, yeah, that is interesting, Bill. And, and if Julie, you know, is right in that this will be determined perhaps by these so-called culture wars, is there one that tips the scale or just more importantly drives turnout? Because we know these off-year elections um, are generally pretty low. No, no, no. Well, first of all, I'm going to disagree on how Julie framed it. Republicans this year are running as pro-cop, uh, pro-parent, uh, sure. and pro-border security, and as always, um, you know, pro-taxpayer. That's the Republican mantra this year, pro-parent, pro-cop, pro-taxpayer, and pro-border security. So I think it really comes down to the um, the money that Democrats have on their side and the messaging that is at the, uh, the Republicans' back. One of the things that's underreported, too, really quickly is change in the uh, contribution limits this year. Yeah. Uh, earlier this year, the legislature, you know, doubled the amount you can give to a legislative candidate and, and you know, significantly in, increased the amount you can give to those legislative leadership committees. And the Democrats have used those really, really well to their advantage because they don't have the message uh, matrix in their favor. Uh, okay, very quickly, because we don't have much time left. Um, you can't negate the fact that these competitive districts, though, Bill, they have a Democratic advantage, and Republicans um, have not necessarily been able to get voters in on this, you know, advanced voting um, that's available, the early in person, the vote by mail. Julie, let me throw this one to you then. Um, will that make the difference this election cycle? Well, I do want to just respond to something Bill said very quickly, which is, of course, the issues that he mentioned, only one of them was about affordability. The rest were all social issues that Republicans don't really do well on uh, in New Jersey, hypothetically. But nevertheless, um, look, Democrats have done a very good job with vote by mail. The problem for Republicans, of course, is that Donald Trump has instilled in them that early voting is something taboo and something they should not worry about or think about. So they better hope they get a good turnout at the polls uh, next Tuesday, this Tuesday, tomorrow because I'm not so sure they're going to be able to survive without doing that. Very, very quickly, Bill, final thought. Oh, the modeling, uh, well, Julie's right about District 3, but the rest of the district staff I'm talking to feel real good about their modeling based on the, the uh, 2021 turnout and uh, vote by mail and early voting numbers. Um, they're feeling pretty good. Uh, no, nothing's done here until it's over, but uh, Republicans feel pretty good about the great effort that they put in on the, the vote by mail and early voting so far. All right. It ain't over till it's over. Uh, Bill Palatucci, Julie Roginski, thank you so much. So much. Take care.
In South Jersey, where two of the most competitive races are playing out, a fight over alleged phantom candidates reached a boiling point. That's after a superior court judge on Friday froze the bank accounts of a dark money group urging Republican voters to cast a ballot for independent conservative candidates. Opponents say it was an effort to siphon votes from the GOP. And as senior political correspondent David Cruz reports, it's one of those only in Jersey election controversies. It's the kind of inside baseball, the details of which generally fly over voters' heads. And to be sure, this will not be the first time that someone was pegged to run for office as a spoiler, as is being alleged by Republicans, particularly in the second and fourth districts, where they say phantom, allegedly conservative candidates are attempting to siphon votes away from their candidates. Friday, a judge just handed them some I told you so material. On the day Republicans went to court last week, GOP chairperson Bob Hugan warned cynics about dismissing all this as just business as usual. Uh, Nothing I mean, illegal I, about it. But yeah, yeah, no, 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 that's not true. That's not true. I think there is illegal things going on. You cannot, you cannot have a fake candidate out there uh, taking money from the outside. That's coordination when you don't want a campaign. There's potentially very significant illegal things going on that have to be examined now. For instance, what is Jersey Freedom? And who is Eric Peterson, its chairman and treasurer? That's what lawyers for Republicans want to know. They say the forms filed with the state's Election Law Enforcement Commission, ELEC, that created them are bogus. Jason Senna represents the GOP. When you file with ELEC, they require you to put an agent for service of process in New Jersey because, of course, if you're making political communications in New Jersey, you're subject to jurisdiction in New Jersey and you're subject to New Jersey law. And ELEC wants to be able to contact you. They have a problem with what you're doing. Mr. Peterson disclosed a Queens, New York address on that application in order to get ELEC to give him the PIN number. The Queens, New York address doesn't exist either. And since no one showed up in court to argue otherwise, the judge ordered the group to stop all political activity and froze its accounts, which showed only debt because the mailers and cable TV ads they ran have already been bought and paid for. All of this proves what in your mind? Well, they certainly violated the law in making the expenditures that they made, making the disclosures that they made to the public, which were essentially nothing. Um, and you know, under the statute, it, uh, a candidate has the right to go to court and ask a judge to enjoin a group from engaging in illegal expenditures, which the, the judge agreed with that here. What's extra dark about this group is that you don't know either who's giving the money. You don't know a lot about the candidates themselves that they're supporting, right? These are candidates who are not really out there. They have, may have been put up to this task of running to draw votes away from the Republicans. Um, so they're not only, it's, it's a dark money group with dark candidates that they're supporting. Who would do such a thing? Technically, no one really knows, although there might be some clarity after the election when ELEC requires further clarification on donors, etc. But that begs the question, if they lied to open the accounts, what can you really expect from them after the election? The consensus is that this is a scheme by South Jersey Democrats who have not been above such tactics in the past. The state party chairman, however, waved all this off as pre-election patter. I've read, uh, you know, some of the uh, the articles in the blogs. Um, you know, look, I'm 
I'm focused on, um, you know, on winning uh, on uh, at the close of uh, November 7th. These little sidebar issues aren't issues that, uh, you know, really resonate to voters anyway. Which is probably true, except that they don't call it dark money for nothing. And when you don't know who's really who on the ballot and who's actually behind them, voters will be in the dark and could end up making ballot choices for all the wrong reasons. I'm David Cruz, NJ Spotlight News. Well, all the clashes over local school board races on the ballot could bring more voters to the polls this year. The normally sleepy election has turned highly politicized as candidates spent the cycle sparring over so-called culture wars, issues like parental rights and protections for transgender students. As senior correspondent Joanna Gagas reports, those topics have the potential to fuel or eclipse the legislative races. Parental rights has taken center stage in this election, um, both for Board of Ed and I believe statewide. Jacqueline Tobacco is running for re-election to the school board in Middletown, where she served for three years. She's a self-proclaimed parental rights candidate and helped draft the policy that instructs the school district to notify parents when a student is publicly transitioning their gender identity. That policy ended Middletown in court against the attorney general. Tobacco defends the policy. This policy only is triggered when a student is making a public social transition. So when a student is ready to have the entire school district be aware that they are changing gender or that they have they have a, a different gender identity, this policy then becomes a conversation between the superintendent, the counselors, and the student to be student-driven on when to notify a parent. Um, when to or when not to notify a parent. The only time they won't notify a parent is when there's proven evidence of abuse in the home. Justin Meehan disagrees with the policy. Sure, maybe there's been no signs of abuse before, but this is a big step in, in a young man or woman's life that they're taking and they're acknowledging. Why would we ever want to put any undue pressure on them to to come forward to their parents immediately. But in the end, if, if you're being a diligent parent and you're forming those relationships with your children, then really you shouldn't have any concerns. That policy and the overall approach to handling issues like this inspired Meehan to run against tobacco for a board position. I think that there's a, a tremendous level of intolerance that's gone on inside of our town. Debates like this have played out in school board campaigns around the state, with parental choice a hot button issue that's driving both conservative candidates and progressive opponents to run for open seats. Organizations like the New Jersey Project are supporting parents' rights candidates. In the majority of cases, parents are the best people to raise their children and to make medical and psychological decisions for their children. And we need to have more parents involved in the schools and on the Board of Education. As for whether she supports the idea of a more political and by extension polarizing school environment, Stauffer says. We try to pretend that Board of Education is nonpartisan. It's always been partisan. The New York organization Districts for Democracy, started by former Democratic Congressman Tom Malinowski, says it's nonpartisan and that hot-button topics like parental rights are being used intentionally this election season. A lot of Republicans who are running for the state legislature have recognized that if you make people angry and afraid, um, they tend to turn out and vote. And so there's a lot of misinformation about our health curriculum, about our sex ed curriculum, about what it means to discuss gender in school. Districts for Democracy says it only supports non-political candidates. At no point do we look at someone's political party. What we do look at is 
Do you believe that public schools should have a variety of viewpoints? Do you believe that books should be banned? If that's a stance that you're running on, that's probably not someone that we're going to support. If we're talking about taking the politics out, mm-hmm. it feels like we're only moving forward with with adding the politics in. It's just which side are you on? You know, when you start to drill down and look at the actual policies that are being promoted by Um, like more extreme candidates by harder right candidates. These are not policies that are popular with the majority of people in our state, with the majority of parents who have kids in school, with the majority of people in our communities. We'll see tomorrow how the majority will vote and whether parental rights will be a part of that vote. I'm Joanna Gagas, NJ Spotlight News. State legislative races are the headliners this election, but voters also have local races and questions to decide. One of the most hotly contested issues is in the small city of Salem, one of the poorest towns in the state, where residents will decide whether to sell the municipally owned drinking water and sewer utility to New Jersey American Water. The company spent roughly $100,000 on the election. Local leaders say cashing out of the utility business is the smart move for city finances, but opponents argue the sale will raise their water rates and cost jobs. Ted Goldberg reports. On election day in Salem, water is on the ballot. Voters will decide if the city's water and wastewater utility will be sold off to New Jersey American Water, a publicly traded company. We can bring solutions and that people can finally have clean, safe, reliable, and affordable water. Raised rates, loss of local jobs, um, loss of control over the, the water systems. A state law allows municipalities to sell off their water utilities without public input if they meet certain conditions. According to New Jersey, Salem meets them, and Salem tried an emergency sale. Local activists stopped it by getting enough signatures within 45 days to put this issue on the ballot. Why would they be doing this? Why would they want to like not include the community. Salem's water has been tested and found to have high levels of PFAS or forever chemicals. Local leaders say they can't afford to upgrade the city's water infrastructure and they've struggled to collect revenue that people owe them. They've openly admitted that they only collect 68% of the rates that, uh, that are owed to them. So they're not collecting all the money due. They have not been doing that for over three years. One lady's at the corner of my street. She's in her 80s. Her son has an apartment in the same building and he's blind. They have no water and no sanitation now. There's only two ways to collect them. You can shut off someone's water or you can sell the lien at tax sale and then turn the water back on. And then when the city did that, there were complaints because we shut off people's water. Mayor Jody Veller has made her thoughts on the matter pretty clear. I don't see any benefit to keeping this system. New Jersey American Water's offer includes $50 million over 10 years to improve the city's water infrastructure and $18 million up front. Mayor Veller says that would go a long way to addressing Salem's problems. Youth crime, address the abandoned housing issues, you know, for for a poor city, that revenue would be a, a really big deal. With the challenges that many systems face, including a city like Salem, you know, those investments are needed. Uh, the advantage that New Jersey American has is that we uh, utilize the entire footprint of our customers to uh, spread the cost. New Jersey American Water serves 190 communities around the Garden State. 
A large customer base spreads around any unexpected costs that come up, which some say is a bad thing. Salem people will pay for the next transition. I mean, the next transaction, the next acquisition. They'll pay for the acquisition after that. Peggy Gallos leads the Association of Environmental Authorities, a trade association for government-owned utilities. She says Salem could have avoided all this if they applied for low-interest loans from the state or money from the bipartisan infrastructure law. Veller disagrees. They're selling at a time when there's more money available than there's been for decades. Grants are slow in coming, and yes, we could chip away at it a piece at a time, but grants do not pay debt. And right now, the debt payment alone is $640,000 a year. Then you have to add on the operational expenses, which come to another five hundred and change. Veller adds that if the sale is rejected, the city will have to raise water rates 68% to break even. New Jersey American Water says if the vote is approved, rates will stay the same for the first and second year, with 3% raises to come in years 3, 4, and 5. Activists are still worried about what could happen in the future or if rates jump before the sale is finalized. In Salem, I'm Ted Goldberg, NJ Spotlight News. For more reporting on all of the campaign issues, which candidate is running in your district and where you can vote, head to njspotlightnews.org and click on the NJ Decides 2023 tab for all your election needs. And make sure you join us right here tomorrow night for our live election night coverage, beginning with David Cruz at 8 p.m. Then I'll take over with a team of reporters and analysts starting at 9 p.m. Calls for a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war cried out from the foot of Lady Liberty today, where hundreds of protesters affiliated with the group Jewish Voice for Peace rallied at the National Monument, a symbol of democracy and freedom in the U.S. The demonstrators wore all black with the words ceasefire now across their shirts as Israel's ground invasion in Gaza this weekend essentially cut the strip in two, blocking off the densely populated Gaza city from the rest of the enclave, worsening the humanitarian crisis for Palestinians and mounting the death toll to more than 10,000 Palestinians, according to Gaza's health ministry. The U.N. Secretary General today said Gaza is, quote, becoming a graveyard for children, citing the reported 4,000 children killed in the war since it broke out October 7th, that, of course, following an attack by Hamas that killed 1,400 Israelis. The conflict, though, is drawing international criticism. But there's little support for a ceasefire in Congress, and tension over that policy stance is spilling into the upcoming election here in New Jersey. At a campaign event in South Brunswick this weekend, Senator Cory Booker's speech was shut down by protesters who interrupted him with chants demanding a ceasefire, holding up their hands with symbolic blood on them. In our Spotlight on Business report, the state's heavily trafficked Northeast Corridor is getting a funding boost from the Biden administration. Roughly $4.5 billion for mass transit projects is coming to New Jersey and the region. Senator Cory Booker and New Jersey Transit CEO Kevin Corbett joined other federal and local leaders in Newark today to tout the federal money, which will go toward five key projects here. The bulk of it, nearly $4 billion, supporting the Hudson River Tunnel. That's a critical part of the Gateway program that's taken decades to get off the ground. About $300 million will go toward rehabbing the 90-year-old Dock Bridge. It crosses the Passaic River between Newark and Harrison, and it's also part of Gateway. 
The rest is going to New Jersey Transit for passenger improvements at Newark Penn Station. It's good news for them, along with the Delco lead project in New Brunswick. That's a rail car storage and inspections facility. There's also money to replace Amtrak's Sawtooth Bridges in Kearney and for studying ways to reduce rail travel time between New York City and Washington, D.C. Cory Booker today said the grants are part of a larger pot of $16 billion awarded by the Federal Railroad Administration. The economy of this region depends on the Northeast Corridor. It is like the jugular vein in the body politic of the Northeast. This project is of such scale and significance that it is not only a day to rejoice as taxpayers for having such a massive infusion of federal funds, but it's also going to affect the lives of thousands of people in this region because it's creating thousands of jobs. Turning to Wall Street, stocks edged higher today after logging the best week of the year. Here's how the markets closed. That's going to do it for us tonight, but don't forget to download the NJ Spotlight News podcast so you can listen anytime. I'm Brianna Venozzi. For the entire NJ Spotlight News team, thanks for being with us. We'll see you right back here for Election Day, and don't forget to vote. Have a great night. The members of the New Jersey Education Association, making public schools great for every child. RWJ Barnabas Health, let's be healthy together. And Orsted, committed to the creation of a new long-term, sustainable, clean energy future for New Jersey. NJM Insurance Group has been part of New Jersey for over a century. We support our communities through NJM's corporate giving program, supporting arts and culture related and nonprofit organizations that serve to improve the lives of children, rebuild communities, and help to create a new generation of safe drivers. We're proud to be part of New Jersey. NJM, we've got New Jersey covered. I'm very grateful that I'm still here. That's me and my daughter when we went to celebrate our first anniversary. With a new kidney, I have strength. They gave me a new lease on life. I'm still going everywhere and exploring new places. Nobody thought I was going to be here. Nobody. And I look forward to getting older with my wife. That's possible now. We're transforming lives through innovative kidney treatments, living donor programs, and world-renowned care at two of New Jersey's premier hospitals. They gave me my normal life back. It's a blessing. RWJ Barnabas Health. Let's be healthy together.